0: Hi everyone, Wesley here. I hope you all had a great Labor Day weekend. I wanted to quickly share with you, through this period of COVID, I quickly realized many of you are cyclists, as well as fans of just the bike scene in general. Well, I took to it as the opportunity to add another element to the growing Standard H community with the launch of the Standard H Cycle Squad. This initial capsule is comprised of a jersey, bib shorts, a lightweight gilet or vest, and as well as a tech shirt for mountain biking, gravel riding, or off-the-bike training. All of these pieces are made in conjunction with the world-renowned cycling brand, Rafa. So for those new to cycling, they've created the apparel for seven of the last eight Tour de France winners. So yeah, it's great stuff. I invite you to check it out on the website at standard-h.com forward slash cycle squad. That's C-Y-C-L-E-S-Q-U-A-D. If any of it looks great to you, awesome. All items are currently available for pre-order, and the window is open through Thursday, September 10th at 11 p.m. Pacific Time. Thank you so much for listening, and now let's get to the show. Jeremy Kirkland has somewhat of a storied music and apparel industry past, which in my opinion has served as perfect preparation for his current role as the host of Blamo, a podcast about the world of fashion and the people who shape it. It's honestly one of the few podcasts where I listen to every episode. We talk about his growing up in St. Louis as the son of a musician, as well as his early days as a musician himself in New York City. Jeremy started Blammo with the use of a robust Rolodex and a goal to have fun. He now leads Blammo Media, which is comprised of multiple podcasts hosting some of the most well-known people, well, globally. Many of you listening to this are probably already familiar with Jeremy, so I was excited to offer us fans a behind-the-scenes look at Blammo, and several subjects he obviously doesn't discuss during his own episodes. I think you'll all enjoy the story behind the man of one of the world's largest menswear podcasts, and Jeremy even offers some information about a very special narration project he's working on, so stay tuned for that. I'm your host, Wesley Smith, and you're listening to The Standard Age Podcast. Jeremy, thanks again for taking the time. Um for sure. I clearly know more about you than you know about me, given that I've listened to your episodes of Blamo. Um tell me about growing up in St. Louis. I grew up
1: around like the Ferguson Floreson area. So, you know, it was like me and my older brother at the time, like in just like in this little condo with my dad, is my dad uh was in a band a lot. Of my like early early adolescent life. What kind of and band was it? It's it was like
0: secular Christian rock. Okay. Um, <laughs> so uh, uh, what? I mean, just everything in four four? Like, what are we talking about here? <laughs> uh, no. Okay. All right. So you know your time signatures. Um, y-
1: a little bit. I mean, because my my dad was in a. He was always playing music with his. Uh, brother and sister and they were just kind of like doing stuff together and then my dad went to music school and then he ended up um playing with this band called uh uh well this guy named dan peak who who is in who is in america right you know like course no name and all that so he was playing a bunch with him and then my dad started his own band and he was an extremely gifted pianist and singer like his his like his range and the reason why it's i'm like a little bit like more emo about this stuff right now is because during quarantine i spent the past you know um weeks and months uploading all of my dad's music to spotify <laughs> oh interesting cool <laughs> yeah yeah because well like um i had found my dad's health is like rapidly declining and i had found some of oh, his I'm music sorry. and i it's all right and I, and I was uh like slowly uploading all of it and there's a there's a feature with that where you can also add the lyrics and so i'm like typing all of my dad's lyrics that he wrote you know in the in the in the 80s and then all um, and then uploading all of his music and then listening to it to make sure that the master of whatever was salvageable from that master is like on there but yeah most of my dad's life he was playing music and he was in this band and my brother and i were just like you know like just kids in like this like little kind of neighborhood that was uh i would It was not a poor neighborhood but it was definitely not a very affluent neighborhood um and so we you know we kind of grew up around that and uh eventually my dad um i i don't know if it was my mom kind of like dropping the pressure of what his kids were doing or just maybe like how his kids were almost like too happy to see him every time he came home because he was always gone so right, much. Right. That he was like, okay, I don't know if I can keep doing this. Um, and you know, but like he did three albums, he toured all over the place. Uh, obviously, not like massive enough to where like you know I'm Gene Simmons kid type thing. Right. But um, <laughs> but then he eventually made his way towards uh, as one does. Uh, towards like preaching. And then my dad became like this, like founding pastor of this now like super church in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, oh, no way. Yeah. Which is like, I have my own, you know, we don't even, you, you need about a 400 hour podcast for me to start explaining my, my own struggles with religion and stuff. But uh, that's all yeah, good. So it's all good. <laughs> he, he started, he's, he had started this, this church for a bit. And then so most of my life, I was like really a, I was a pastor's kid that was it and it was good I mean I, I would like looking back on it now especially as like I have a, a two year old right now um, it's funny and I don't know if you ever feel this but like as you get older and you start to remember things that happened when you were a little kid and sometimes you stop and think like that was super weird like or that was awesome to where like you know on Wednesday nights we would go to McDonald's for family fun night okay <laughs> They had a play because, place, obviously. Y- well, actually, this one didn't, but they, they had cheeseburgers that were 35 cents. And so we would all go, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is this is like 1989, right? 1990 or something, you know. Um, so, we, you know, we would all go as like a family to do it. And it's funny because, like, you know, I never really remembered how much I liked it until like maybe the past like couple of years. And I was thinking about that. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like, I want to do that. We're like, that was always weird that we would just like call up, you know, my parents would call up their friends and we would just like show up at their house and just be like, hey, we're here. You want to hang out? Right. It's just like, you know, my my dad was an extremely social person. Uh, I mean, as my mom too, but that, so like most of our lives we were always, there was always someone over that was hanging out. Some, some friend of my parents or we would go to some friend of theirs house, but like most of my life was always spent around like other families and other people and we you know not like we were some hippies and lived on a commune but you know they just like no i know what you mean
0: just neighborly yeah
1: yeah exactly right i mean yeah the the best summary is like they they really loved being a part of a community
0: i grew um, up just, outside of raleigh north carolina which is like the epitome of suburbia so i know exactly okay. what you're talking about yeah
1: yeah it's just like you super bowl know, and, parties
0: and, and, and like christmas yes. parties yeah it was a thing yeah
1: yeah I mean so I mean but it was it was a good it was a good time um I think you know as, as I got older you know weirdly like you rebel against your parents but kind of do the exact same stuff um now I I am not a pastor of a church uh at all right but um well sort I got of super the into...
0: podcast could be a church oh, it's the God. fashion church <laughs> I'm just kidding I'm oh doing... man <laughs> <laughs> uh
1: but I I got super into music and that was actually what brought me out to New York and so I moved out out here in like 2004 four or five uh to play music that was my my whole my whole like mo as you can see i sit before you a broken man
0: uh (laughs) what kind of music were you playing like what was and you're a guitarist right
1: yeah uh i play guitar and piano um sweet yeah it's i mean i'm 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 not good at any of that stuff but i i the one thing I like picked up from my dad was like his his ear and just kinda like learning how to you know, like I'm not like some music theory genius in which you put, you know, papers in front of me and I sight read it and I just play you whatever. Um those musicians exist and they're amazing and I am in awe of them at all times. But um yeah, no, I was I played uh piano and guitar and like mandolin and and any other weird instrument that I thought would make me sound more fun or diverse. I have this accordion behind me that's like you know 70 pounds and and a, a huge mistake uh but yeah so i came out here to do that and just you know figure out who i was uh,
0: as a as a young adolescent so what so what was the music you guys were playing and like how big was it like a three piece band a five piece band like what what were you guys doing it what- at the time it was just me and i and then a friend of mine moved up
1: here that i was playing music with in st louis And it was him and I in this little eight by seven bedroom. Um, One thing that, you know, it's the funny thing is like you come to New York and when I first came here, I'd never been here. So I moved to New York and had never actually been to the city before. But I was like, oh, I'm just going to do it. Yeah. I mean, I'm stupid. But um, so I found a place on Craigslist, agreed to rent it sight unseen. Um, You know, I think there was a picture and it was basically like, here is your room. It was this like little eight foot by seven foot room with the window in it. Uh, there was, like, a mattress on the floor and three milk crates that you could use as, you know, to store your stuff, uh, which was, to be honest, was fine. Like, I, you know, I didn't have that much and didn't, you know, didn't really need that much. But um, the one reason why I'd, I'd chosen that apartment is the uh, on the listing, it was, like, the previous roommate had put this out on Craigslist, and he was like, hey, this is the, um, you get to live with the famous Bill Ware Uh, the jazz vibraphone player. And I was like, who's this guy? And I looked him up and like, he played in like Steely Dan and he played, he toured with the stones and he liked you know, um, I guess there's not a ton of vibraphone players out there, but you know, of the, of the few, like that was, he's the guy of note. (laughs) Yeah. And he, he used it as his studio, um, the main apartment as his studio. And then there was a bedroom there and that was like, he just rented it out. And so it was me in there friend of mine move up we're in this tiny room and we're trying to play music and it's just us two at the time and then he has this I think I don't know if it's New York or it's like the time of your life but he was like this sucks like what am I doing like I'm you know he was like you know we're like we're 20 years old here you know <laughs> we're, we're real adults and he's like I'm out of here so he pieces out but like any other place you move to you, you make friends and I uh I had met actually you know Brian Davis of, you know, wooden sleepers and my other friend Herm and then another guy named Noah Sittleman. And we were all working at the Apple retail store. Um, I had been, I'd worked at a bunch of odd jobs, right? When I came to New York, I worked at American apparel for three months. I, um, worked at Starbucks where it's the only job I've ever quit. Um, a homeless guy. Uh, and I say that because we knew that he was, um, he was, he'd come in and like, he would like take stuff out of the usually. Okay. As a sidebar, if you work at Starbucks at the end of the day, you have all this food and you give the food away. Yeah. And you know, he would come in and we were like, Hey, we're like, you know, we're going to go by Washington square park and we'll drop off the rest of the stuff. You're like, welcome to do it. But he would come in and he was like taking, um, he was like taking the money out of the tip jar. And I was like, Hey man, can you not do that? And I was like, Hey, can you not do that? And I remember he, uh, uh, Can I curse on your podcast?
0: Yeah, it's your time, dude.
1: Yeah. So he was was like, I was like, please don't do that. And he looked at me like square in the eye and he goes, fuck you. And I was like, oh, man, come on. I was like, please don't do that. And then he spit on me. And I was like, you know what? I was like, forget this. I was like, what am I doing? I'm in New York. I'm broke. I live in a tiny shithole apartment. I just got spit on by a dude and I'm making coffees for a bunch of ring dings. I was like, I can't handle this. And I just walked out. And I remember going back to my bedroom uh like to my apartment and I walked everywhere because I was also scared to ride the subway at the time. And I was like I went there and I was just like crying and I was like, what am I doing? I was like, I'm such an idiot. Oh wow. <laughs> it's like I could be back at home and I have this like warm bed or whatever. And I remember I called my dad and I was like trying to pretend that like I had my shit together. And I was like, Dad I was like, it's just like really hard. And my dad's like, how's the music going? Are you like gigging or anything? And I'm like, no, I'm not doing it. You know, I think I'd I'd been in New York for like half a year and and I was like, I think, I think maybe I need to move home. And my dad was like, eh, Why don't you give it some more time? And I was, and it's funny because as a parent, you look back at that now. Like, if you know your kid's hurting, you kind of do want to protect them, right? And my dad was like, eh, I think you're all right. And I was, I was fine. But um, I, I met these other guys. So like that, that job sucks. I end up quitting. I work at the Apple Store. Meet these other dudes. We all kind of start playing music together. And a guy named Noah Sittleman and I were playing in a band and that band turned into this like one, two, three, four. It was like five people in the band. And we were kind of this like, I don't know, I guess wannabe like Shins, Arcade Fire, Spoon, whatever whatever was like kind of the the cool music in two thousand four or yeah, five. Totally. Um you know, and then we we played a few shows and I think we played Mercury Lounge a bunch, if you know like New York venues. And yeah. then we did Uh, North Six, which was like Music Hall Williamsburg at the time, or it it was before Music Hall Williamsburg. The place was called North Six, Uh, Glasslands. Uh, I mean, we never. It's not like we were playing like Irving Plaza or anything, but you know. But then it was funny because, um, while working at Apple, I had uh, uh, this new like role had popped up that was like the creatives, right? And they they were test piloting this role, and I. I uh, had a bit of a music background for my dad and, like, learning how to record. And so, like, I, I knew some – I knew enough to be, a, like, not as big of an idiot, right? So, like, my knowledge was not totally there, but it's, like, I was competent. And all these, like, musicians and people would show up there. And, like, at the time, there was really only one Apple store in New York. So you'd have, like, which Soho.
0: Yeah, it was Soho, yeah. Because I think yeah. uh, the bravery, they would they would, like, record, like <laughs> – there was like all these recordings that were out of that that store. <laughs> the bravery, yeah, dude, oh, throwback, yeah. dude. We
1: we played there. We played the Apple Store after uh, after I ended up leaving there. We were like, yeah, because the, they had these live at Soho series. Yeah. So like, my band did a live at Soho, but a bunch of, um, and uh, it's funny because <laughs> the, cause the bravery.
0: bravery that's the only set list I've ever heard out of that store, and I just know because the guy comes over the microphone that, on my recording, and he's like. Hey guys, like you, you could tell he's a total retail guy and not like a <laughs> venue guy. He's not like a, he's Be not. Be sure not to ha- check
1: out Dot Mac. Yeah, he's <laughs> like, hey guys, welcome
0: to Apple Store Soho, and today we've got the bravery. And then I don't know, like I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina, you know, slinging diesel. And you like jeans. Play an honest mistake? Yeah, Come yeah, on, yeah, let's exactly. do it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean that was that was a that was a fun time. Yeah, um, but. I ended up befriending a few musicians and, um, you know, like, cause you'd have like John Mayer who'd come in, David Bowie who'd come in. Not that like I'm friends with those guys or even knew them. I would be very clear about that. Um, but one guy came in and I was helping him with some of the recording stuff and he was in this, uh, band called Interpol. And, um, I mean, he still is at Paul Banks oh, and, sick. uh, we kind of like became buddies and he ended up kind of starting to like politely or whatever you want to say like kind of like mentor us music wise and was helping us out and you know i think we played one night at was it fat baby or something like that and paul came and the music booker it's what it's it's weird like just a sidebar for a second like you ever like remember stuff, and then you remember all these other things with it because you like went and like your brain try to like pull that memory out, and I'm like remembering the room and all these like weird, dumb things that are irrelevant to the story but important in my hundred
0: percent. It happens to me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's strange, I, but like anyway. Usually um, when I'm listening to your podcast, that happens to oh, me. Jeez, I'm sorry. I start thinking of like my old manager that I hated, or like you know, the, <laughs> like so, something like you know, whatever. Yeah, and and so. We played this show and Paul
1: showed up with his girlfriend, I think it was Helena Christensen at the time, and um, we like it was like a packed show and it was super awesome. And he was like, "Yeah, he's like, you know, you guys are really good. Like, maybe you know, we'll we'll bring you on tour." And you know, I think they were getting ready. I'm trying to. Th- I don't know if their album had just come out on Capitol or what, but they they weren't on Matador at the time. And then I like went out with them a couple times, and he was like. As an aside, it's funny when you you kind of like meet your heroes because you always have this idea of like who they are in your brain, and sometimes they're not, and, yeah. Of but course. sometimes they are, and Paul was that guy. He was like such a generous and encouraging dude, and I kept, you know, I would like write music and I would send him demos and he would give me input. And this is all on uh, MySpace, I think, at the time, and uh, you know, and then I, uh, you know, I would kind of like wait around. I remember getting in trouble at Apple. Because this guy who was in this band called Travis. Um, oh yeah, I know Travis. So he was he okay cool. He was at the uh, Fran Healy was at the Apple Store, and I like gave him our demo like as an employee. And I remember my manager was like, "You do not do that." And I was like, "He he wanted it," and he found me on MySpace. And was like, "Oh, these are interesting songs. You know, like you should keep going." And it's like, of course, you know, he was just trying to be a nice guy. But um, that's hilarious. Paul was like, "Hey, you should go work at Matador." he's like, they're looking for someone. And I know you're like, not really feeling this. And like Apple was kind of weird, because then, like, all of us were starting to get more and more corporate jobs. And just like any other thing, like, you know, we're not really like retail employees anymore. Now we're like getting these other jobs, and you're going to Cupertino, and you're doing this. And, and, which is cool. And you're getting money, but you're, you're getting further and further away from like why you came to that city in the first place. Right. Like if you want to be a rock star, you want to do that. It's like, okay, well now, now you're a guy who's like helping write like training syllabus like this. That's not a rock star. (laughs) Uh, and, and so I was like, Oh, this is my ticket out. Like I'm going to go work at a record label and I'm going to slip them my demo. And then the, you know, so like obviously everything is extremely, you know, selfish, uh, and, and all about me but well, like
0: career driven man that's what it's all about
1: <laughs> yeah and i guess it's maybe it's okay to do that when you literally have no other responsibilities and you're in your early 20s but i don't know uh so i i start working at beggars which was the greatest job i've ever had in my life uh especially in hindsight because it was like a company that was just the right size if that makes sense we're like there's a lot of people that work there, but there's not too many where you don't know any, where you don't know everyone. Right. But there's also enough that you don't have, you don't see everyone when you're at work. And it was, it was a British company. And, um, I got to go to London all the time. And, you know, I did slip a bunch of people my demo and it didn't have, you know, it didn't really pop. But I remember, um... Chris Chen, who was the head of XL Recordings, who had signed Vampire Weekend at the time. Nice. Uh, we we played a show at Cake Shop, and he had brought Ezra and the dudes to, like, like watch us play. And, like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But, like, I remember after the show, my friend Noah and I, he was like, yo, like, Ezra and Rostam were here. And I think that first album had come out, and they were, like, going to tour with the Walkman or something at the time. Like, this is, like, the New York era. I'm, like, dating here. And uh at one point, I and this is like I I have to always admit this truth to myself um we had this opportunity to go on this bigger tour with this other band and I looked to see how much money we we're gonna make and like if we were gonna be able to do it and when I realized that we were all more or less gonna have to take out a loan oh, man. to go on tour yeah and then do the entire tour and still not make enough, to pay to pay back the loan, or even pay for the pay for the tour, I was like, oh, and I was at beggars at the time, and I was doing like, you know, well for a guy in his early twenties, and I was like, I think I'm just gonna keep working here. I was like, maybe I, you know, in my mind, I was like justifying it as like, oh, it's because I want to be in the music business, right, like, right. What, what are you talking about? No, it's because I, I wussed out. Like the truth is, I whist out. I chose I chose safety and security over
0: going into like $10,000 of debt to to drive around the city in a van. <laughs> I I mean I, I think know. that's fair and and I mean maybe even in hindsight the mature decision even though you consider it wussing out. I don't know, but uh what uh where I don't where did you go to college? I did not go to college. Oh, at all. Okay, so you like literally left St. Louis for New York to to do the music thing.
1: I left St. Louis for London first and the london bombings happen and i got and basically i don't know when when you shave your head a lot and you wear fred perry and levi's <laughs> 501s and all that other stuff i don't know if i got labeled as a skinhead or if i flubbed as being an 18-year-old kid going through immigration in britain like i'm dead serious um when i got to london they were like hey what are you you know like what are you doing here and i was like oh i'm moving here and the guy was like what and i was like yeah and i was like i can stay here for 6 months right i was like cuz i'm a i'm a us citizen and he's like well are you going to work i was like yeah i'm going to play shows <laughs> and he's like sit down and i basically <laughs> and i my friend and i at the time we uh who i'd gone out there with he you know we both got detained and like sent home um and denied admission and the funny thing is years later i get a job for a british company and I, you know, I'm, I go out and they open up my passport and there's this big X on it. Like, I'm not bullshitting you. There was this big X on my passport that said, like, I was denied admission. And they're like, wait, like, you were denied admission once? And I was like, yeah, yeah, but that was, like, so long ago. You know, this was that was this year. And they're like, sit down. And I remember my boss in my British boss, like, pulled me aside when I after he had to, like, make personal phone calls and, like, vouch for me <laughs> that I was, like, not going to, you know, whatever, come in and ruin London. Um I was going to go to school but in full disclosure like we didn't like my family didn't really I all my other friends at the time all their parents were like just tell us where you want to go and we'll pay for it.
0: Oh I or do see. this and we'll
1: pay for it. And I remember I was like, "Hey mom and dad, I was like, I think I want to go to this school I want to do this." And my dad was like, "You know, we don't have that money. Like mm. you can start looking online and like see what sort of scholarships you can get or what sort of things but like we we don't have any we don't have that money for you." And I don't blame them, but it's just like we didn't really have that. And I was so driven at the time. I was gigging a ton, playing music, skipping school. And when I was in high school to go play music around the city in New York, we were playing like the High Point and Creepy Crawl and all those other places. And uh, that I was just like, you know what? I was like, I'm going to take some time off, whatever that means. And so I was like, I'm just going to skip school. I remember my mom was not that into it. My dad was like, all right, like, go for it. If This is what you want to do. And to be honest, I just never got around to college at right. all. And like I was, you know, I even I had this thing at Washu and I was gonna go there and I was gonna do this and and it just everything all kind of fell through and like I just backed out. And I'll be totally transparent because like, you know, I talk to people about this on Blamo where people are like, yeah, you know what my like on the job training was better than this. Oh like, yeah. Even, you know, but the one thing that no one tells you is if you don't go to college and you don't have a high self-esteem and you are you wrestle with depression most of your life, you have a constant nagging in the back of your brain that whatever job you want to get, that whatever thing you want to do, you're always just not going to be totally good enough. Because, or qualified for. Or qualified because you don't have a degree. Right. And. Of course, nowadays, it's not as big of a deal, but it's still a thing. And, you know, I'm, what, I'll be 35 in a couple weeks, and it's that's like, you know, not having that, I'm like, well, maybe do I do it? Do I not? And it's tough. But I'll I'll be honest, I I often really, really regret it. Um, Interesting. But... You know, I don't know. I don't feel like I should have a bunch of regrets in my life, but I do.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, welcome to the club. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it's interesting. So, like, what bands were you into, like, prior to meeting Paul, prior to New York? Like, what what were your bands in high school? Oh, bands in high school? It was all
1: punk. It was, to be honest, it was Interpol. It was the Get Up Kids. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was Saves the Day. It was... um. It was a lot of the, like, Vagrant Records stuff. I was into all the emos and, like, Dashboard Confessional. Sure. And then I had a friend, like, introduce me to Bad Brains and other, like, like crazier punk. And I remember listening to it, and that was one of the earlier bands that I had heard and was like, oh, this is awesome. But in my mind, I knew I didn't really get it. Like, I, I didn't have the true mental under you know everything for me is like all music was all like highbrow and i had to understand more i had to empathize i had to connect emotionally and i was like i can't i can't connect with bad brains
0: what made you leave the record industry
1: um well i mean in the you know like as, as i was saying with high school like i was really into clothes and like that was always a thing whenever i got money i would spend 100 of it on clothes or you know, even with music stuff, like it was more, it was more important to look good than to sound good. Uh, don't know if that always equates,
0: but in my mind it was, I was like, you know, I, I had to look good. Dion Sanders has this quote that I'll share with you. Do you remember the athlete Dion Sanders? Oh yeah. If, if, Cowboys. You, if you look good, you play good. If you play good, they pay good.
1: <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Well it, that did not equate with me. Uh, getting paid good for looking good did not, but Deion Sanders, I definitely. Um, I got I was really into um like just clothes as like kind of moonlighting stuff. And when I was at Beggars, um blogs were all popping off. And I was like, Oh, I-, I could do this and I had started a blog. I like digitally met Lawrence Schwassman and John Moy and like those dudes. This is two thousand eight. yeah two thousand nine. That's when I had mine yeah i mean it's yeah it's like when everyone had theirs like a blog like a a fashion blog was was basically like what photos were you gonna put on your instagram account now like it's (laughs) just you know every every it was just everyone had something um because i had a live journal when i moved to new york to like let my parents know that i was gonna be okay but i never kept that up and i remember getting a wordpress and you know all that stuff but i um was really I would write a bunch about clothes and thanks to like Valet Mag, like Corey Ollendorf and Lawrence and a few other people and Michael Williams at a continuous lane. Sure, they would link me to some of their stuff because I'm not a good writer, but like I would just be able to find things or talk about things. You had taste. Yeah, maybe. I, but so you're being humble.
0: I, yes. <laughs>
1: well, no, I for myself, I I knew what I liked. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, and yeah. and so I got into that more and more next thing you know um and this is you know as I started getting to watches too at that time and there wasn't really any other like watch guys right um at least that were writing it was like Ben Clymer had like was like was had either just started Haddinky or was about to start it I think he had already started it and I was you know writing about clothes and then writing about watches and then I started writing for Esquire um like digital stuff just for a bit and that and i got more and more into it and i was like oh like there's could be something here and then i met and i've told the story tons of times but like i had met uh Lawrence and John uh and we went to capsule and i was like <laughs> i was like we should make clothes and sell clothes like we sh- we should do this and then we can get clothes for free like a- again like ever it always
0: comes back to this sort of like selfish like how can i <laughs> but yeah well, so it's that was smart because if that's where that. all your money is going you might as well find a way to get it for free or make a profit <laughs> right? while getting it you know what i mean yeah so
1: i see I, I i was the uh i was you know my i was using my my economic sense right there right right, right. uh <laughs> but yeah i mean that was kind of what got me in the clothes for sure it was just that and and you also have like the validation of your peers. You have all these other people and you're like, oh, you're into this. Oh, I'm into this. You know? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it was fun.
0: It's funny. My laptop is um, sitting on a stack of books and one of them's fuck yeah, menswear. <laughs> oh, there you go. So, yeah, I got you. Um, <laughs> that's cool, man. Well, um, so then so then where'd you go next? Um, From there. Well, you launched your own line, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean if you could call it that. But yeah, we were doing that and we actually did in terms of sales, we did too well in the sense that all of our stuff was technically pre-sold, right? So we would we wow. pay for the samples, we got the we got the samples and then we would we'd like blast as much as we could to tell everyone like, "Hey, this is cool. You should get this. It's cool." We're going to take photos of ourselves in. It. I mean, just like what every other influencer or whatever it does right right and then we tried to sell it and like we, you know Justin Doss was at GQ and we we're like yo Justin we're like we'll hook you up with a pair can you like can you you know list this and your best picks yeah and a little stuff. blurb and, or something yeah Sean Hotchkiss was doing the GQI and we were just you know we we're like yo can you can you like show some love here yeah and next thing you know we end up selling like you know we're, we're trying to sell like 12 shoes and you end up selling like you know, 200 pairs of shoes or you're trying to sell like 12 shirts and you're selling like 400 shirts and you're like moving numbers to where the people that like had allocated production time for you, they were like, uh, this is not enough production time to make this. And we're making shoes for these people or we're making shirts for these people. Like, you know, we're going to have to delay it. So what was your
0: assortment consisted of then at that time?
1: Well, so the first thing was, it was Mark McNary took a chance on us and basically let us use his production. So they were Sander Shoes and uh, that stuff. And then then we started to make our own kind of private label. And so we were doing New England Shirt Company at the time, I don't know what they're called now, um, with like uh, cutaway collar Oxfords and like the whole Anglo-Italian idea. And uh, not, not Jake Grantham's, brand that just like the mix of it and then right. double monk strap shoes uh it was but it was like shirts and shoes and then i think we did some pants uh we did like a coach's jacket we did um you know just it, it there was no correlation it was, a, it was a hodgepodge of of stuff yeah it was like oh this is cool yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, i want
0: this this season so let's make it <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's exactly, you know, and it's funny because when you look back at this now or whenever you talk to like real designers, like any real designer who solely designs for themselves is, is not that successful of a designer. And the ones that tell you that they're doing it, they really aren't like, because they're like, you have to sell this to a lot of people and it has to be really appealing. And if, and if you're super cool, narrow mindset and you just want to sell a red, um, you know, camping 60, 40, cloth that's like lined with melt and wool like it's not that functional it's you know you're not you're not gonna sell nobody in San money.
0: Diego's wearing that
1: <laughs> exactly exactly um but so yeah we we did that and then I remember we went to uh, womo in like January 2011 or 2012 and I met Mark Cho at the armory and Mark and I stayed in touch for a while and then when they were going to do the armory New York Mark reached out and was like, hey, you know, like, would you be interested in, like, being a part of this? And I was, you know, at Beggars it was cool, but, like, with any small company, you kind of hit a ceiling, a glass ceiling pretty quick to where you're, like, you can keep taking sort of incremental raises. And as much as I love the music industry, I really loved the people there, and I kind of liked the music industry less and less. Um, And... By no fault of them, but it was just like the way that the industry was evolving and streaming, and and as I was trying to play music myself and seeing, not that people were being mistreated, but you saw how little was really left for a musician. Like to, to to make a living as a musician, there's just so much other stuff you have to do, and and it was like kind of tough for me. And I was and I was getting more and more into like clothes and thought you know I could do a business with it, and and I guess this was twenty. 2013 uh, I left and me a gentleman named Jeffrey Hilliard um, who's who runs all the uh, retail and marketing stuff for herdinki um, and then another guy named Nick Rogasta who now runs Stofa uh, with uh, with Agyash um, we were like the original three dudes who were doing the army New York uh, which was fun it was a ton of fun and you know it was like this elevated retail experience and you know i worked at banana republic when i was in high school for a little bit and so i was like yeah it's it's just nicer clothes and it's i mean it was i i didn't exactly think that but it was um that that whole mindset you know because i had i had been doing a lot of e-commerce and a lot of digital and tech stuff for beggars when i was there and that was like kind of going to be my role is to help roll out e-commerce and marketing for the armory new york oh cool you know yeah, and so you know, figuring out what all that stuff was—that was a great job. Um, but so what? You know, what year did you leave the armory? I left the armory in 2016.
0: Okay, so fa- I mean, fairly recently because you launched Blammo. What 2016? Three- yeah, I was gonna say. So then you did the e ecom rollout, obviously. But like, so so, how did Blammo even come about then? Uh, Blammo was just kind of like a, a
1: hobby. I mean, it was just a way to hang out with my friends in in all honesty. I mean, cause when Bueno first, first started, it was me and my friend Noah, who I used to be in a band with. And we were just kind of like talk, but like there was no theme, you know? And I think like for me, like I've, my mindset of anything is like, don't do something unless you're going to do your absolute best trying to do it. And that's kind of a tacky, you know, quote on the wall sort of mindset. But like, um, I, I really wanted to find a way to improve. I was like, how how can I sonically make this good? How can I, um, you know, how can I solicit feedback from my friends and people I know who are going to tell me, like, you know, how can I improve talking to people? How can I improve um, listening? How can I improve, um, you know, guest selection, make it appealing, make it diverse, make it, you know, make it something special? And the only thing that I had had from all of the weird careers and weird friendships and relationships I had was just like, I knew a lot of people. And so it was easy to get guests f- for a while because I was like, Oh, I know you like Ben, like for- at Hedinke. I was, you know, like everyone in the first season were like text message, like, please come on my podcast. Right. You know, they were like, fine. You know, like even <laughs> like JJ Redick, like, you know, cause I think he had a show at the time or he had, I- I'm not sure, but like, you know, they were just people that were like, all right, man, fine, I'll, I'll, I'll go do your nerdy show, but like, yeah. So everyone on the first season of Blammo was just that, and I got more and more into it, and I was like, okay, how can I improve? And I think at the time, I think there was like maybe a hundred people listening to it, and then it jumped a little bit more and more, and I was like, oh, there could be something here, and, uh, my like contract or whatever ended with the armory.
0: Are you a watch collector, but having trouble finding something cool and unique? I mean, the last thing you really want is what everyone else has, right? Well, this is where my friend and former Standard Age podcast guest Tim Jackson comes in. He and his wife Jana own Passion Fine Jewelry in Solana Beach, California, where you'll find an incredible assortment of independent watches waiting for you in their shop and online. And if you're getting engaged, have an anniversary coming up, or simply have another reason to buy jewelry, they have you covered. Passion Find Jewelry also employs a goldsmith on staff for any custom desires, so you're able to go that route if you so choose. Visit Passion Find Jewelry when you find yourself in Southern California, but they're also open 24 hours a day at passionfindjewelry.com. And now back to my conversation with Jeremy.
1: I was like trying to do Blamo and I was like, oh, I was like, I'm gonna try to do this on my own. And I tried it on my own, like to see if I could make a living off of it. And I think with ads and like the CPM and everything at the time, I think I was going to gross like maybe $1,500 <laughs> or something. Wow. And my wife at the time was like, yeah, you need a real job. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. And so I went, I worked for a friend of mine's creative agency, which worked, uh, specializes in like working with not for profits and stuff. Oh, cool. With all with the mindset of like, I'm going to keep trying to double down on blammo and find a way to make it, uh, work. And, I was there for about a year and um, th- then all this, like the timing of this was also like, I remember the day I was going to, the day I was going to accept the job from five stone, which was, which was where I was working. My wife found out that uh, we were expecting. And so I was like, man, thank God I accepted this job. And then the day she, she found out she got laid off of her job of like, six or seven years at etsy because etsy laid off at the time they had laid off like eight percent of their workforce
0: oh wow yeah i was gonna what was she doing there what does your wife do she she
1: does um like training and support uh at i don't know the right words learning and development Okay. so she basically comes you know so she kind of helps people scale their support scale their um their company culture across as a you know company would grow um, how to train, but she specializes in that stuff. And so now she works for a uh, recovery startup um, that's like on like sobriety and wellness and stuff, but she works for them. But yeah, the day that I'd accepted that job at five stone, she had lost hers. Cause I was like freelancing a bit and I was like, yeah, okay. I was like, I'm going to take this other job. It's going to be secure. Then I'm like, oh, crap. And so did that. And then, to be honest, the the show kept growing, like, an, an okay amount. And I was like, okay. I was like, I think she ends up getting a job at Samsung for a bit. And, I mean, this is all, like, the details don't really matter. But she got this other job. And so she was there. And, like, her job was really good. And she was like, hey, if you want, like, you can, like, focus more on your show. Oh, sweet. And then I'd gotten hired to do that, like, Mr. Porter miniseries. Right. Um. And then I was like, oh, like, okay, I think there's enough here that I like I can I can keep trying to focus on this and, you know, make and, and have enough that, like, it's not going to be, you know, the end of the world. And because the biggest thing is, like, look, and this is the, like, I'm not getting political, but, like, this is the toughest part of any American that wants to be in a creative, I'm air quoting here, like, field, is the sense that, like, m- you need health insurance. Like, you, you know, especially as you're getting older, you got to find some way to, like, how are you going to pay for health insurance? And... Most cases, your standard whatever you're making as a creative is not enough to pay for health insurance and to live. So it's right. like one or the other. Right. And so,
0: well, could you, know, you piggyback the, on your wife's policy then? Well, and, that,
1: and so that was why. Yeah, so like yeah, That yeah. was like every everything when I was able to focus more on Blammo was because my wife at the time had the health insurance. I mean, you that's know? that's it's me with like,
0: standard H. Same thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I mean, and that it, it's that's the line that runs through every single person who works in a creative field. is- yeah is your health insurance comes from somewhere else because nine times out of 10, you, you probably can't a- afford
0: your own, uh, because you're a, you know, scrappy creative. And, uh, what do you attribute that early growth to when you said it kept growing a little bit more and, and such? Like, what was that? was oh, it just like word of mouth or like, were you, cause you probably weren't advertising, right?
1: No. I mean, honestly it was timing. Like I, at the time when I had started Blamo, there weren't that many other kind of like podcasts that was in the sort of men's fashion or lifestyle, or at least it, it, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but at least there weren't in that kind of like bubble or world that we're all in. Right. Um, and you know, and I had some like good press. I mean, there was some, there was, uh, uh, at the time, you know, it's funny cause like Jacob Gallagher had written a thing in the wall street journal about it. And, and, Um, you know, he's an extremely professional person. And I remember being like, Hey, you should write, you know? And he was just like, I, I, like, I'm not going to just write about my buddies. Like, I can't do that. Right. And I think at the time something happened where there was a story that he was going to get an opportunity to write about podcasting. And he was like, Hey man, like I'm going to get to write about like men's fashion podcasting and like, you know, we can chat. And, you know, and I, I say that as like, I wasn't, you know, he wasn't just like, Hey, I'm going to hook up all my buds. But he, that helped but it was me relevant. a bunch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it was relevant and that that helped me about a lot cuz I think the tough thing with with podcasting especially with the kind of like little micro world that we're in is a lot of people and companies know about it but they don't really know how it works. Right. And so a lot of people would make up would make up shit. Like I'm going to be totally honest with you. Like I remember I had reached out to someone that was going to be on, and they were like, "Oh, what's your reach?" And I told them my reach, and they were like, "Oh, okay, so like you're pretty small." And I was like, "Well, you know, it was like there's this," and they were, and you know, it was, it was fine. But they were like, "They're like, oh, because we were just on um, Hypebeast podcast," and I've no, you can leave this on the record. Um, like Hypebeast, Hypebeast told them, told this person that they get two million downloads a day, and uh, of their show, and I, I'm not kidding and i was so mad and i was like no like they can't that and, might be their th- website ex- exactly and i was like i'm sure that this person doesn't understand i was like I- if you're getting like 2 million downloads of your podcast a day like you are number one across the board like yeah. it is not you know and 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 look it's fine and and i'm grateful more and more people are learning about podcasting and learning kind of how to judge and weigh other shows and 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 impact and all that other you know bogus stuff that everyone talks about Um, but I was like, you know, I was like, dang it. Like these like brands and other companies were doing it and I was trying to do it and still like, you know, but it was little, it's like, it was just me. I mean, maybe until a year ago where there are other people working on the show. Um, it was always just me. And while that's, you know, with podcasting or I don't know, maybe there are other creative fields that are similar like this you grow and then you like kind of plateau and then you grow and then you kind of plateau and you just kind of, you know, I, I was like, Oh, I was like, Oh, is this it? Like, Oh no, like I can't do this. Or this other, you know, it was really, really hard. And to where you start to get why people do, um, the other things or like Patreons or things like that, because you, you're like, you know, you start doing advertising and you start doing other partnerships and, you know, when you're a little guy, you're not always going to get paid on
0: time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no <laughs> was, kidding. You become a so, bill collector. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and um, and that, that was the thing is like, oh, man, um, you know, I, I would do an ad for someone or whatever we would do, and, um, you know, and you wait to get paid, and you're at, like, day 100 or something like that, and you still haven't gotten paid. And, like, and it's not even that much, but, like, for, for me, this was everything. And so I was – you know, it's it was it was tough. And it's funny too because everything from the outside, you know, people were like, Oh man, you, you must be crushing it. I saw you just had this person on, you just had this, and you're like, dude, I have not been paid in months <laughs> and I'm trying so hard and every day I look in the mirror and I'm like, What am I doing? <laughs> um, you know, and that's look, there's plenty of other crazier things going on in the world, but it was it was like kind of tough. But I I would say like at least the early the early growth was just like a timing you know right, i mean right there's, there's as you're aware too like there's other there's just tons and tons of shows yeah. um and i i would say it's great now that more and more people that i talk to do have a bit more understanding about not only how important podcasting is and and how impactful it is especially in terms of storytelling but um how like what what is success for a podcast like how you know and so you, you can't, I don't know if hype Beast is still doing this, but like, you can't go and say, Oh, I, I have 2 million people listening to me. Like people can look some of this stuff up. Yeah, You know, there's services where people can see your chart history and people can see this and you can get an idea of what this person's actual activity
0: is versus what they're saying, you know? <laughs> and yeah. Uh, and so anyway. How do you define your audience? I mean, obviously you're a menswear podcast, but like what how do you define it or what's considered to be the demographic, even? Oh well, the demographic, I mean, we're 92% men, um,
1: which is something this is a tough thing with podcasting, because podcasting is basically just um very niche. Everything's niche. And right. what makes a good podcast is to be niche, actually, right? Yeah. You know? Um and so If you make a podcast that's about, like, men's fashion, um, you kind of are just going to be more male, which is fine. Um, But it's also, as the show has grown, I've really tried to be more diverse, more appealing, more um, reflective of the industry as a whole. But what the listeners want is, you know, dudes. Like, dudes, you know, I'll have someone like, um, some big, whatever person that's, that's bigger than men's fashion, you know, but like that's in fashion. And if they're not doing men's fashion and it's just women's or something, listeners are just like, eh. And so like, I mean, at least the audience, I would say it's, it's fortunately and unfortunately, it's an extremely like, um, you know, either like a kind of up and coming dude get into fashion or someone who's buying patek philippes and porsches yeah um, which is cool but you know it's cool for advertisers but um yeah i would say it's predominantly male um which is fine i guess what what is the age range (laughs) age range um millennials you know you're like the kind of 25 to
0: 34 ish is that because of the the platform it being a podcast you think i think you know, and it's funny because,
1: like, with the Coffee with the Greats show, it is, on, like, the network that we did, like, that is not a predominantly millennial show uh, in terms of audience. Now, I mean, look, the show is not even a month old, but, like, looking through the numbers and, like, our chartable and everything else, like, it's not. It's it's predominantly, like, dudes in their late 40s and stuff, which is, again, it's totally fine, but it's it's interesting to see, I mean at least for podcasting, I think it's always better to just focus on like your content versus like, do, do you want to cater? Do you are, you know, do you want to try to like build a full complete audience or do you just want to do like what you're good at and what like like stay, stay narrow, you know, which is also why we're like, let's just make other shows instead of trying to make one show appeal for every single person in every single age range. Let's just keep making more shows because that's, you know, it's, it's, obviously not as easy to do, but it does keep focus. Um, the best advice I got from Blamo at the very beginning and like, you know, I mean, earlier we, we were chatting and you said that like, you you know, you'll just message folks and stuff. I messaged <laughs> Walt Mossberg of the wall street journal who was there at the time. And I was like, Hey, like I'm doing this show because like Blammo was like fashion and culture and tech and all this like dumb stuff. It was basically all the things I liked. And, I had a few episodes up and I sent it to him and he responded. And he was like, this is good. I like it. I like the artwork. I like this. You know, he's like, um, he's like, my criticism and feedback is like, it doesn't appear focused. And like, that is the thing I try to take away no matter what is
0: like, okay, how do we keep this focused? I sometimes wonder that about my show to be blunt, just because it's not industry specific. It's, it's like personality specific in air quotes, obviously with like the entrepreneurial spirit which sure i i mean that's like long in the tooth as well obviously
1: but it's it's tough it's a challenge and it's things like you know there'll be people who will reach out who um i want to have on or they want to be on and we're like this isn't a good fit and it doesn't mean that they're bad or we're bad or whatever it's like this isn't it's not it's not a good fit right and as like the show grew a bit i was like okay like I should have done this ages ago, but like, what, what are we and what are we not? And if you kind of put that on paper, you let the paper be the bad guy versus everything else, you know, and it's tough because we'll have actors and athletes and people who are in that. And I'm like, okay, well, we need to keep the conversation more about this because this is, this is the show and this is why people are here. And, you know, some of these people like, look, with all due respect, like you've done like 5000 other interviews and you've talked about all these other things so like there's no point in you like telling me your story you know like you're an actor and you've been on Mark Marin you know like this is not you know and he did it way better right so we don't need to go there but we can talk about this and it's also what the audience wants and so it's tough to find that balance um because you know you you want to be a big show you want to you want to have a lot of people doing it but I've never had just like overnight growth it's always just been like okay we're up a little bit this year we're up a little bit this you know and and especially being a show that's interview based a lot of like bigger and bigger folks will be like okay let's give this guy some time you know they're like let's see what's are you still going to be around in a year are you still going to be around in this you know oh you're like independent and okay all right let's you know let's let's circle back next year you know or let's circle and you're like that's a bummer and a bitch to read of an email But I'm just like, all right. I put in my calendar. I'm gonna reach out to you in a year, like, and I'm gonna tell you that hopefully we're bigger, we're better, or whatever, and like, let's do this. Yeah, I mean that's kind
0: of you know, and that's that's part of the reason I wanted to talk to you, like, to your point of like people going on Mark Marin or whatnot. Like I wanted to talk to you because there's very few opportunities. Well, that I've been exposed to anyway, that explores you, Jeremy as a person and also the nuts and bolts behind blammo, for example, because right, you're not going on blammo talking about like your demographics and like, <laughs> you know, things like yeah, that. Yeah,
1: I was going to say, you probably, probably don't put my demographics and stuff on there just cause I don't want people to think I'm like, I think that they're not good enough by being whatever they are. Uh,
0: Oh, no, but. I don't think people would think that. I think it's just matter of fact. Like you're a menswear yeah. blog or blog, sorry, <laughs> podcast. No, no, it's and fine, so yeah. it's mostly men, you know? I mean, yeah. if women hear that and say, well, I'm going to change this, you know, then so be it. You yeah, know? that's true. I but, mean, yeah. to, to be fair, most of my audience is men as well. Uh, why that is, not sure. Maybe because there's a lot of cars and watches and, and the occasional fashion talk, you know, that's focused on menswear, frankly. Um, yeah, but I do want to kind of get in sort of to the to the nuts and bolts of Blamo, For example, like sure. what is what is your preparation involve?
1: Um, it depends on the person, you know, because I think a best conversation, at least in a podcast, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to be candid, and it needs to be candid, and that's what's going to be the most fun for the person. It's going to be what's the most fun for the audience. Um, so if, you know, a lot of times like I'll have like, Hey, these are my points of where I want to take us in this conversation. But if we start talking and they're really interested in like something that is totally unrelated, or they say something that you're like, that is super bizarre, but we, I want to explore that more. Your initial feeling is what the audience is too. So like go there and scrap your bullet point because it doesn't really matter because wherever you're going to go is far more interesting because of the actual conversation that's happening, yeah, it's natural, you know. Yeah, it, it's natural, and you know that the good thing is it is at least like for me, and like like doing enough, you're like, wait, you did that? Okay, hold on, and and it's like, well, damn it, I'm just gonna sc- scratch everything else, um, and then we're just gonna go and see what happens. And I think, in a weird way, the the best and more most personal shows for me of Blamo have been when I didn't focus on like my talking points or mm-hmm. where I wanted to go. It was like, I just want to listen to this person, you know, cause I'll record some- with someone for, you know, always a minimum of like 90 minutes ish, but you sometimes we'll go like two and a half hours. Yeah. Um, totally. Which, but the thing is you also want to edit, 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 edit. And you know, like Brendan who does editing and Heather who, d- who does editing they're good because they're separated enough from me that they're like, wow, this must have been a great conversation for Jeremy, but the audience does not give a shit about it. <laughs> and they're like, lopped off. And oh, wow, they're right. They're always right. They are always right. Because when you listen to it and you hear the flow, you're like, hmm, this is so long. It took us this long to get to here. And while, you know, people's time, like one hour is really the sweet spot. You know, if, if you are Joe Rogan, that's cool. But Joe Rogan can be Joe Rogan because he is joe rogan right but when it's someone that they don't know a lot of, at least like the audience trusts me enough or trusts us enough they're like okay well i'll give you an hour you know which is a lot but um so that that and that's like all you can get so if if people aren't hooked early or when the conversation isn't engaging enough early even if that took an hour and a half to get there on a recording, it needs to happen way earlier. Right, right. And that that's the tough part when you want to have an empathetic connection with a person, but you also want to produce an entertaining connection with the audience. Yeah. That is the, the, I think that is the biggest challenge because you should never, well, that's not a fair thing to say, it's it's not good to, to discredit someone's story. And not that that's happening, but if it's not as relevant to the larger point of the overall conversation, it can't be there.
0: And that's kind of where I start to feel not insecure, but start to worry because I'm like, well, for one, it's like, are you going to remember what we talked about and be like, dude, that asshole cut that out, you know? Or like, that was a really strong point I made. And like, I start thinking like, I I don't know if it's the empathy in me thinking like what they're saying is important. And I don't know, maybe even if I don't find the importance in that, maybe the listener will, or cause they said it for a reason, you know what I mean? But sure. And maybe that's but, to, to your point earlier of it's just not a good fit, not as a guest, yeah. but just as a comment.
1: And it, exactly. And I think for you, it doesn't, you know, with all due respect, like actually, I don't even know why I would have said that. Like it doesn't matter what I think. This is your show.
0: That's so true. This is how no, you, no, is how you yeah. want to put it.
1: So if you are like, hey, you talked about how, you know, how much you, you know, you had this weird thing about your dad, but it didn't fit because we talked more about the business of podcasting. Take it off. Right. That's that's the tough thing uh, with that stuff, because it, sometimes you're like, oh, I want to do this person justice. But you're just like, no, like this is this is my show. And the, the message that I want to send is this. Mm-hmm. Um. And, and people get it. I think more and more people, especially, like, people that, you know, you don't know as much, they get it. You just, like, you know, because there's also no, oh, man, like, you took that out? Like, how, how would I say that? I don't know this person. Or, like, I mean, you know, I'm like, I don't know everything. About, I don't know your middle name. Like, yeah. I, <laughs> you know, like, so I'm not going to,
0: like, pull this and be like, why did you take that out? You know? Um, what, um, so, well, you mentioned two names. What is the structure of your team currently? So there's John and Will. So Will does production and like production
1: planning and um and then he also does like overall like senior like production and all that stuff for like Blamo and Blamo Media. And then John is he heads up all of our partnerships uh kind of like our like basically he's the guy who will be like, Hey Jeremy, like that was good, but is there a way for us to actually like pay people? And it's like, Oh no. Okay. Then we're not doing it. And it's like, you need people like that. Like they are like smart. They're way smarter than I'll ever be. And they're also, they know me, but they're detached enough that they can make sound business decisions and also be like, Hey, you know what? You never really thought about this. Like here's a show we could do, or here's a person you should talk to. You should give this a second look. You should do it. Yeah. Um, how did you find them? I They just kind of like found me and I just kind of begged them to help me. No way. Um, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, it's weird. But um, <laughs> I mean, I would, and then working like day to day on the show, Brendan does editing. Heather does editing. Maddie does um, like social media and all that other stuff. Um, and like she also does a lot of like, she has good insight for like marketing and things like that. And then uh, I have someone who helps with scheduling now, um, and it's only because I'm running my show, but I'm also making another show for my for myself actually weirdly about my dad and his life. Oh no way! Uh, and Parkinson's disease. Yeah, it's like a it's a narrative show, but it's it's way more work. Wow. <laughs> but it is yeah, it's more gonna be like a narrative exploration um, of like people and adults that try to understand grief and hmm. terminal illnesses and parenting and you know it's it's not a you know uh, a novel concept it's not a new idea but it's a uh it's just something that's like okay i think this could be this i i like this could be fun to do and worth doing and um and then yeah so i have a person who helps out with scheduling for all that
0: is is most of the growth be it personnel wise or just even yourself and not needing you know, to work a full-time job. Is it all ad-based revenue that's supporting the podcast? Or have you done any... Well, and then obviously, the I wanted to talk about the um, the Patreon as well. Because you launched that within the last year, I know. But I want to say, what, six, eight months ago? It was February, yeah. So,
1: I think it... Yeah, we announced it in February and it went live in like March for when the, the seventh season went.
0: Now why did you decide to do it?
1: Well, initially it was like, okay, like there were a lot of people that wanted more, but there wasn't a ton of people that wanted more, right? Like it's like okay, well, you know, and then I had a lot of like and I say a lot cuz like people would email and be like, "Hey, like do you do donations or do you do this?" and that feels good yeah, when nice. you're like, "Yeah, I sure, I could use that." Or um, you know, and I had casually joked but it was true that i was selling a lot of stuff to like fund the show like i mean i don't own a rolex batman anymore i don't own Mm. a paddock philippe 96 i don't own any of these watches that i thought were going to be the only watch i would ever have because when you need cash to like fund your dream you find ways to get it and it's just like okay i'm just going to sell this i'll sell this i'll sell this i'll you know i'm grateful that i was able to have it to sell but i was like i i can't I can't keep doing this. Right. Um, the show wasn't really making anything, and it was going further and further into debt, like, because I would keep investing more. And when you make more, you're like, okay, well, let's invest a lot more. Let's do this. Right. And, because um, the ads help, but it's like, in a weird way, the ads, like, aren't consistent in terms of, like, being able to pay someone when they give you an invoice. like. Because um, we had people who initiated very, very early who were like, "Hey, I'll work," and they'll just kind of like work for free. And I was like, "This doesn't feel good, right?" Because like I can't make a, I can't hold this person to a standard because in most cases the the unwritten <laughs> rule or agreement, or in other cases written, is payment for the work. And so it's like someone would do something I'm like, "Dude, I that has that messed that up," or now I would go and I need to redo it, or this person you know, was emailing a brand and asking for free stuff with like a blamo email address. And then that PR person's being like, why do you want this free thing? And I'm like, well, who's that? And I have to go and be like, why are you asking for free shit? And then they're <laughs> like, well, you should have, you know, I mean, it's just all whatever. And so you're just like, let's just pay people. We'll be honest about what we can afford to pay, but let's just pay people. Yeah. Um, and so again, you're investing more and more. And so you just like, can't really count on advertising to pay you on time. Uh, at least because like, we're not big. Like we're, you know, at least with the people we're trying to get advertising with, they're just like, who are you? Oh, okay. Like, what are you? Oh, all right. Um, and that's fine. You know, you just, you get used to it.
0: You've discussed ego with Paul Feig and Oliver yeah. Spencer. Um, great episodes, obviously. Oh, thanks. How has the podcast success affected your confidence? <laughs> great question. Um,
1: Unfortunately unfortunately. fortunately. It's it hasn't
0: that much, because in a it depends on what you define as success. I think that's great, man. Well, that that's the result. I think that's great, because I think with a lot of people, their heads are you know can't fit through the doorway. Yes,
1: I I mean for me. And this is the the luxury I have of making Bueno is everyone that comes on is someone I just like I love and I wanna learn from and I wanna celebrate. Like and I want to Same. But I I, I wanna I wanna have a I wanna have a conversation with. So it's never gonna be P R E or fake or anything. And because of that, you know, I the whole it's not like oh if you do something you love you never work no you're working your ass off because (laughs) you love it That's such a bullshit thing i hate that but um but i also you know and it's funny because i'll go on people's podcasts and people like man kirkland i know you could talk so much but it's like when you have someone on yours like i i always try to tell myself just like just listen just listen to them and ask them and make them feel comfortable enough that you can keep listening and so with that oh, um there there in a lot of ways is like almost not enough i want i don't ever want there to be enough space that my ego should grow it should always be theirs um and and i think you know while i am really grateful that the show has had some form of like moderate success and people like you know like it and stuff it's um my idea and understanding of what success is has rapidly evolved over the years, into where now I'm like, I was successful before I did Blamo, because, you know, I had, and this is tacky, but, like, I had friends, and I loved them, and, and they were important in my life, and, like, you know, when you, when you dumb it all down, like, you want someone's arms around you when the world's ending, right? And it's not like it is right now. I mean, I, I'm very optimistic, but it's just, like, you just want someone there whether it's a friend or family member or significant other and I was like oh I I I have this and in a weird way it took me trying to funnel everything into a career in music or a career in fashion or podcasting whatever that is to realize that like oh this isn't fulfilling I love it I enjoy it but at the end of the day if I'm like trying to measure the weight of my life it's you know it's like my my daughter you know it's like uh, that's so tacky, but it really is. It's and not It's not tacky, weird feeling man. That I, not at all. <laughs> it's it's just like it's just a feeling that I didn't realize that that was what I cared about. You know, it's my my wife and I were talking the other night, and she was like, uh, "Like, are we good parents?" Because I think like our daughter was being like a total jerk, and you know, she's two, so she's like, you know, she doesn't know, and we were all annoyed with her, and we were. They should just like her. rename that age jerk.
0: Not not just <laughs> don't even true. call her two. Just. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I and mean, it's funny, like like Adam Powell and a bunch of other people talk about like yeah if you don't like strongly dislike your kids at that age then like maybe you're not actually parenting them. right because it's like it you you do you're like well you have this personality and you're being mean like what what's wrong with you um and my wife was like you know are we are we doing the right thing are we being good parents and I was like yeah because when you summarize like all that she actually needs you know she has she's got food water shelter and. And we'll look at her and we'll hang out with her and we'll try to give her our physical time and attention. And that's really all she needs. She doesn't need another toy. She doesn't need another puzzle. Like she doesn't really care. Like She needs that. And I'm like, oh, I have that. Okay. Yes, I am. I am, you know, air quote, rich and successful, even though in my mind, I think that I'm not because I don't have a Daytona anymore or I don't have, you know, it's just like that. You know, and it's it's tough because it also is like I picked a hell of a hobby or I was career gonna say the to love topic that's all about <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's all about this when like you're like, No man, I don't need it. And it's and it's not like, oh, I read some book and I'm elevated. It, it's just I, I I try to keep that humble mindset as much as possible. Um, but I will be honest, it is way I am a more fun engaging cooler personality to be on a podcast if I was like fuck family it's all about getting all the dope shit I'm like let's do this um it's just
0: not me <laughs> well it's funny you mentioned your daughter because I was gonna ask you like since you launched the pod obviously you you became a father so like yeah how, how has fatherhood changed you uh I am more emo than I ever realized (laughs) uh
1: i cry daily um (laughs) i won't lie. i cried earlier i nearly cried on this flipping phone this podcast just talking about her um i think i also am trying to be more uh empathetic towards my own parents and my own childhood and the things that happen because you realize that like
0: oh crap that's why adults yeah
1: adults don't really know what they're doing either you know like none of us really have an entire idea and understanding of of how to um raise people or how to like you know earn a living or do all these. i mean you're just every day everyone's just like oh all right let's hope this works <laughs> you yeah. know and so yeah. with that i think i've tried to be i've tried to be more patient and forgiving
0: yeah um, that's cool yeah i think like some of the qualities I admire most about you are, like, your self-awareness and, dare I say, your self-deprecation, especially yeah. when it comes to, like, previous fashion decisions. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's that's a good old-fashioned Lexapro pill right there. Yeah. Well, so. what's, <laughs> like, what do you think's made you such a fashion chameleon? Uh, searching for an identity, like everyone else. I'm just more vocal about
1: it. Um. You know people wear clothes because they want to find a way to define themselves um you know anyone who you know I remember I did this like uh what what was it it was they're called oh fud I can't remember the name uh symposium it was one of Simon Cromptons symposium in Florence at, at PT uomo okay and and it was about like streetwear and and everyone kept trying to boil down like the essence of streetwear the essence of streetwear and you know, you had Waco who's on there, and it was like, I remember I would met him the first time that night, and I was like, man, this guy's a genius. Like, he's so gifted. He's such an intelligent person. Um, and you have, like, someone like David Coggins, you know, who's also extremely intelligent. You know, there are a lot, a lot of great fine people up there, and everyone was trying to dissect this stuff. And I just verbally vomited because, like, Simon was like, well, Jeremy, like, what do you think? And I was just like, this is about an identity. And I was like, every single person in this room chose what they want to, like, chose what they're wearing because they want to tell someone else who they are. Like, that's who they are, yeah. Yeah, like, you want to, you know, like, it's why, like, people flex on clothes. It's why, you know, because at the end of the day, all of these things are just, like, trying to find ways to to define them. And, And for me... That was close, too. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to get really into Carol Christian Poole because no, no one of my other friends at the time know it. And I'm trying to choose the road less traveled. And I'm going to go way in. And you can't understand an artist unless you fully embrace their mindset. And it's like, that's <laughs> bullshit. You know? <laughs> but but that was what I believed. Um, and so that's what I did. and it's And I am grateful to look back at it and laugh at it because it's like, oh, okay. You know, in, in a weird way, I'm still like that. Like I I got a bicycle and I'm like, I gotta get all bike gear, man. I'm gonna wear a little tiny brim hat and I'm gonna look like a little bicycle dude. Yeah, I was like, Okay, I can't do this. Come on. Like <laughs> let's 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 center, let's come back to earth, let's recenter here. Um and it's just you know, and at the end of the day, all these things are it's a little bit more fun to laugh at than to than to take it serious. I think if anyone who is really trying to draw a correlation or like line in their fashion history or lack of better term it's it's completely made up in hindsight (laughs) right
0: right right so what are you rocking most these days you have a hawaiian shirt on basically i
1: do this is an 18 shirt um from antonio chongoli who's just crushing it right now uh a lot of the the stuff i've been wearing at home is all like i don't know like patagonia baggies like comfy home stuff yeah. Um, I have been continuing to order or like prepare for what my wardrobe will be after COVID. But in all honesty, what I end up wearing every day is different than what I'm like looking at. And I think it's, it also has to do with the fact that like I'm sweating profusely and I'm not showering every day. <laughs> uh, be it, I'll just be honest, you know, you're just like, well, you know, let's forget about that this day or you, you're with your kids 16 hours straight. Um, So yeah, but what I am continuing to look, look for is like, like casual tailoring and like as, as casual tailoring as it can be to where, you know, like let's take all the canvas out of all my sport coats, which you can't do and you shouldn't, but like the stuff I want to order, you know, so it's like Patrick Johnson, it's Jake Muser, it's, um, but now and I think it's funny, a lot of people are trying to do this. I looked at my closet. And I was like, more than half of this is like great memories, but they're not great
0: clothes. Right, right. And I was like, I need to thin the herd. I think I think that's an age thing too though, you know? Like when yeah. you when you get to the point where you're looking in your closet and you want quality over quantity, I think at the end of the day. Or at least I do.
1: Yes. Yes. You do. And it's but it, it's tough because there's You know, and I'm not, again, I'm not getting political, but, like, we're in this, like, very consumerist, capitalistic, you know, culture and mindset where it's like, yeah, but you know what? I just grabbed my phone to read an email, and I somehow, like, got sucked into Instagram, and now I'm seeing all these ads for this and this, and and now I feel that, like... Is my water bottle good enough? <laughs> <laughs> you know? You're like, are my socks okay? Is 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 my HDMI cable certified to make a strong connection? You know, <laughs> it's just like
0: dumb shit that you really don't need. Right? You just want. Yeah. Do you have a favorite designer?
1: Um, uh, for different points of my life, yeah. I mean, I love like. Eddie Slimane is what got me into Dior and it's what got me into clothes because like that was this, this look, you know, it also had to do with like the libertines and by the way, I've never done cocaine or anything, but right. I was like really <laughs> into like that look. Um, yeah, I was going to say that like almost like heroin chic. Yeah. Like I, yeah. And maybe it was cause I was a super fat kid and everyone was skinny and I was like, hey, maybe I can do that. But like, um, I think in all honesty, like, Antonio Changoli is probably the best like designer right now because he's so laser focused uh, that, um, and like all the stuff that he's doing, like no matter what anyone else is making or anything, he's like, no, this is it. What I'm doing is the right thing, and right now it's really, really working. And yeah, I'm proud of him for it. Um, I feel like Japanese brands are really good at that. Yes, I mean at at the end of the day, when you when you think of like the terms of any company, brand, item, product show whatever it's like focus is key because it keeps things predictable and in a good way we're like i know what i'm going to get if i buy patagonia right because patagonia is never going to make a sport coat but they are going to make these shorts and they're going to make them every year and they're going to do this and they're going to do that but like it's tough because liking you know like italian menswear whatever there's no real design to it it's just fit and aesthetic and so like I love Simona Mel the the Swedish guys um Patrick Johnson you know what Jake is doing and all those guys in a lot of and I mean this as a compliment they all overlap in a lot of ways sure of, like soft tailoring yeah um you know sportswear you know like I mean the other person who I think is probably one of just the best designers you have like uh Michael Hill of Drake's
0: yeah, sure. who's, who's
1: just a fantastic curator because I think, you know, there's, there's far more to it than just like, Oh, I have my own vision. Like he can look at, Oh, you know what? This guy's wearing this, this guy's wearing this. Okay. We're going to blend some of this together and also find a way to sell this. Right. Um, and then Michael Bastian, in all honesty, I, I, I know he's kind of gone dark a bit, but when I look at, you know, like the JFK junior collection, he did. Oh, it's incredible. Um, yeah, it, it's so good. And yeah. it's like, Oh man, like that, especially now when you think about like clothes that you want that's kind of narrow and focused and and you know consistent but still communicate something about yourself and what you like Michael Bastian and you know I mean and the speedo's aside um <laughs> I mean I you know I'll be honest he, he'll say it too you know uh but yeah I mean it is is great um you know Ralph Lauren's good but I this is not a discredit to Ralph Lauren. But everyone says Ralph. It's just like a given. Well, you kind of have to because you're an American and you like American people. It's clothes. a mainstay, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: you like Ralph Lauren. So, um, anyway. Well, I mean, obviously, you and I both worked retail. Um, mm-hmm. How do you go about helping guys find their own style when they're just entering the picture? Um. Great question. Uh,
1: be okay to make mistakes and figure out what you like um i think you know now i tell people to make mood boards because in a lot of ways to say like oh just buy a bunch of stuff like that's kind of not really ethically good if you have the cash great help the economy but if you don't you know you're kind of just buying more shit uh mood boards are helpful you know there's like jeff hilliard (laughs) he always hates because i've said this about him like he keeps um a little like mood board on his phone of Not only the inventory of like the clothes that he has, but also like the looks that he likes. And so when he does buy clothes, it's very focused. And he's everything he gets is building into a larger wardrobe. I do the same thing on my phone. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I have like
0: an outfits. Like, I don't call it fits. I actually say outfits. <laughs> but it's like the folder in my photos app or whatever. It's called outfits. Yeah, that's that's great. I mean, that's that's key. And I mean, it, and I feel
1: bad when you were talking about designers. I, um, Daiki Suzuki of Engineer Garments, like that yeah. should, should have been number yeah. one. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, the, those like being able to kind of have... Because if you're like me... You see something else, and you get excited, and then you're jumping to here, and you're jumping to here, here, and here. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I came in here
0: to get a navy suit, and I walked out with this. And you're like, wha- but that's also the no. same mindset that leads you to question your HDMI cable. <laughs> yes. Yes. Exactly. Because I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I don't. You know, I need focus. I need focus. So,
1: um, yeah, like that. That's genius to 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 do something like that. And I always tell people, like, yo, like go get a fine, get a Pinterest, get whatever. Or go find and use your little bookmark tour tool on Instagram and ask people like, you know that
0: that's great. Go for it. Yeah, totally. Can we talk about the art of buying books and shelving them for a while? Ooh, uh, sure. Because I am in that camp with you and Will Welsh. (laughs) Yeah, um,
1: that is a very yeah. I I have to stop with that. I mean, I, I have bought, a problem.
0: My my laptop's sitting on a stack of books I have not read.
1: <laughs> it's worse too cuz then I I forgot that I bought a bunch of Kindle books too. And I was like, "Oh, I have all these books," and then I'm like, "Oh, wait. Yeah, I have all these other Kindle books." Um I'm every night during quarantine, I would say 90% of every night, I'll read for 20-30 minutes. But the problem is all the books that I'm reading are like cherno and just like stupid long or like hey i'll go ahead and read you know the last lion and, and all the churchill bios and all this stuff i'm like that is like five years of reading in a series like what am i doing thinking i can stack that and like a bunch of cherno books and thinking oh i'll read them during quarantine it's and like, it's
0: like heady stuff before trying to go to sleep yeah <laughs> it's true
1: it's very stupid uh, but so but i keep buying them yeah um I did. I did get a bunch of books, um, because someone was like, "Oh, you know, like you should be supporting like local bookstores and stuff." I'm like, "Oh yeah, for sure." Because I'll, I've, I have no problem admitting my idiocy. I was just buying everything on Amazon because it was convenient. You know, we when we lived in Fort Greene, there was um, Greenlight, which we would go to and buy. But here, there was there's nothing. But there's a I, I forget the name of the site, but there's a site where you can basically e-commerce buy your books and but it'll connect you to a local bookstore so you can get it from there in most cases at least for the books that i was looking at the amazon discount was not you know it's it's the delta isn't that big you know it's like you can like i can swallow like an extra three or four bucks to to help like a independent small
0: business than (laughs) jeff bezos yeah so uh, (laughs) percent. yeah um well we kind of touched on watches what was your first watch first watch uh
1: was my grandpa's casio digital watch um i actually have it uh i have the model uh i lost it um but that was my first watch and then i remember getting like the first watch that i bought like my own sort of hard-earned money um i had a an air king excuse me um which is this was at the time you could get an air king for less than a thousand dollars which was a lot of money for me but it was still like i i bought it all for the wrong reasons just like with a lot of clothes in the sense that like oh this is gonna make up for the fact that like i didn't you know go to college or finish college uh you know, this, this will make me equal in the room. Is that like, I have, I have a Rolex, like, look, I, I'm, I'm successful,
0: <laughs> you know? Right. which
1: is like kind of sad. But at the same time, it was like, oh, this is, this was my, like, I survived New York. Like I am, I'm, I'm still here after, you know, what, four or five years, whatever it was at the time. And so I'd gotten that and that it got way worse. Cause then you know, then at the time, Ben and I were pretty close and we were oh. like, he'd be he'd be like, oh, you should check out this watch and you should check out this watch. And I started buying watches, not, not like with tons of money or anything, but he was, he's like, oh, you should look at this company. You should look at this. And I, you know, this was before everyone was trolling every single site, but like he found some great stuff on Etsy. Oh, no way. Um, yeah, early on. And I, I mean, he I think he's probably already told the story, but he had bought just a killer I don't remember what watch. It was, it was like a brigade Isle paddock or something, but he had bought it from someone on Etsy and they sent it to him in a padded envelope and the and the, the watch was inside of a uh like a prescription pillbox.
0: Oh my god.
1: Yeah. I mean it was great and it was perfect, it was fine, you know, but like he uh it was just like you, you could find stuff super cheap. You still can. Yeah. But I think like still like the the definition of super cheap like maybe you can find like you know a bunch of guys all of a sudden are trying to buy all the the wes anderson um uh amphibias the vostok amphibias you know that you can get for like four or five hundred bucks yeah yeah Um, yeah which is a great watch what do you what do
0: you look for in a watch like what like when you're looking for a watch, like are you aesthetically driven? Like there's so many different camps, right? Like you're either a dial oh, yeah. guy or a case guy or are you a, a, you know, a tool watch guy or are you a dress watch guy? Like, you know, the straps, yeah, bracelets. I mean, you know, I don't want to go down too many rabbit holes because, you know, I do want to wrap this up soon. But <laughs> like... No, yeah. I mean, for me, the watches
1: that I was really into and still are into are just like something that didn't scream... Luxury, you know, it's funny because I started with the Rolex, right? But like, right, but still had a bit of history in it. Yeah. So like that—that that was why I kind of fell into Seiko's quick because it's like, oh, you can get these cool watches, and it appeals to every mindset of your ever-changing idea and personality. So it's like, okay, cool. Like, the Pogue was really cool because it, you know, yes, a lot of people say the El Primero was the first automatic chronograph, but like the sixty-one thirty-nine or whatever it was—I should have known—but the Pogue was like. That was also like one of the first automatic chronographs and then you know the history of that watch and the case of that was kind of funky. And you could also wear it and you know, I mean it, it it's not a ten thousand dollar, fifteen thousand dollar watch, and so it's easier to get, it's easier to understand, like to so you get it's easier to acquire, it's easier to understand, and it's still like kind of unique. Yeah. And that ticked every single box, and so no matter what, if I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna be really into the movements now,"
0: yeah, I could still do that with old Seikos. Well, who are the original Seiko boys? Uh, m- me. And, <laughs> and I made it.
1: I made it as a joke. Actually, it was me, and I was trying to get John Caramonica, uh, the New York Times, uh, pop culture critic. Okay, like I was like, we like occasionally will like DM over just like dumb things or all like. Tell him about hootie and the blowfish stuff or whatever. And he uh <laughs> and I That was and, my first concert. Really? Yeah. Well man, you well, you, that was pretty anticlimactic, man. You you started with the best. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like can't get better than Darius Rucker. So Dude, yeah. um by the way, their new album is kind of trash, though. So sorry I about did, that.
0: I <laughs> didn't even realize there was a new album. So. Go go check it
1: out and just let your heart break into a million pieces. And um, just
0: and text you, you're right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's just like I just want to hear Hannah Jane. Uh, but um, I I was like my my wife will actually like make fun of me whenever I get into something, and she'll be like, "Oh, he's a this boy." Like I was shaving my head, and she's like, "Oh, he's a bald boy. He's a this boy. He's a this boy." I realized that also some of that connotation is affiliate with like other forms of culture that i'm not associated with right. so i didn't realize that but so my wife was just like oh there's this and and i had a seiko and she's like oh look he's a seiko boy and i was like oh that's funny and then i just kept like putting it out there and then um i was trying to get like john caramonica to get a pogue because he was like oh he's like i think i want to get a good watch he's like but you know i don't want to get like a you know an expensive watch i don't want to get a watch that like that says more about what I want to tell someone when I come in the room, which you're like is very true. If when you get into watches, like people are like, "Yo, I'm wearing this. I'm wearing this UG tricom pack." So this now you know I really know my shit, and it's just like, okay. I know you're
0: in New York City. Are you a car guy at all? No, not at all. I'm not anti. I'm just right. Right. You ride. I, you ride my, the train. <laughs> yeah. Weirdly, though,
1: my first car is like a ton of people's like like love affair cars. I had a 1986 Volvo 240DL station Sick. wagon which was my dad's friend's car that they had given to me because I was teaching his son guitar lessons. And like he worked in the Air Force or whatever and he they bought it in like Saudi Arabia. And so like they had it brought over when they'd come over and you know there was like a carpet across the dash to keep the dash from cracking in the heat and stuff, but I had that car for ages, and that was a car that died on me on the highway. Like, like died. Oh, but wow. it had
0: three hundred some odd thousand miles on it. I mean, oh, it's crazy. Yeah. I-, I meant to ask you this earlier, frankly. Um, mm-hmm. How do you define success? Um, the ability to keep doing it. That's cool. I've never heard somebody say that before. <laughs> I think that's great. Yeah, I
1: mean, because in most cases, right. Like, I think for me, success was like this many listeners or this guest or this right. sort of thing. Yeah, and it's quantified. Like, that's, yeah. That, but that's going to evolve, you know? But like, and also like you may, you may never get that. So does that
0: mean you're never successful? And if so, that's like a pretty sad way to live. Right, sure. Due to COVID, what's something that you now appreciate that you never did before or ever even thought about? Oh, great question. Um...
1: I, this sounds dumb, but I would say, like, solitude. Mm. Um, in, in a weird way, I'm sure a lot of people are getting an obscene amount of it, of, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm very appreciative of, you know, family and friends and, and, like, just FaceTiming buddies through the night and making jokes about, like, cheesy movies. Yeah. But also, with so much stuff happening at all times, like, I don't think I've had much of my own personal time to, like, truly reflect on it and so I've been like just going for walks uh so lame but I just going for walks like on the waterfront and just thinking and like not having my phone not listening to music not like looking for a distraction and just being like okay what what can I just like sit and think about during this and I don't mean meditating and I'm not belittling it but it's just like just I mean there are different
0: versions of meditation so I mean maybe that's just your version yeah
1: yeah, I mean, it's not TM, but yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah, so it's kind of my thing. And I think that has been like, oh, this was very undervalued. Um, You know, I mean, I'm out there with a mask, but you're still just like,
0: this is nice to just sit here. I know a lot of creatives who do that. They go on walks, like uninterrupted walks, and it could be 15 minutes and it could be an hour and a half. Um, yeah. So that's interesting that you do that. That's really cool, though. I like that.
1: Yeah. And also writing things down. Yes. Well, I, if I don't write things down, nothing gets done. <laughs> That's, I, I really, you know, I have like 15 field notes that I kept buying to be like this time I'm going to fill it. And now I'm like, okay, like, I, I mean, like seriously, like I'm, I'm going to fill it. You know, I'm like, I have this thing right here. I'm like, I'm going to fill this. I'm going to fill this. And I've been doing that and just like, it's funny though. Cause I'll look back at it and I'll read. I'm like, why did I write down like two cats like, what is that?
0: Right. <laughs> I don't know if it's coherent, but I'm writing things down. What's something many people would be surprised to learn about you? Oh, um, geez.
1: These are great questions. Um, Well, thanks. <laughs> I, well, I would say, at least from, like, what you were talking about, is a, a lot of people think, like, oh, like, maybe I have it together, and I completely do not. Uh, not not that I'm like a ball of of nerves and
0: anxiety but like right right yeah no Um, I hear you I think there's a lot of us in that same boat as well (laughs) yeah you know Instagram just shows the highlights you know what I mean so yeah
1: yeah yeah, for sure um
0: last question and you you can name three or you can name one I don't care but who are your top three style icons and why style icons okay um my grandpa tacky
1: answer but true like he just he would wear the same thing a lot but he also his like we were chatting earlier like his mindset on everything was like it wasn't about like luxury it was about like comfort for him so like a lot of his sweaters were acrylic because he thought that was more comfortable you know right his pants were polyester because again like this is a guy who like made you know finally started to like make it for himself in like the 60s and 70s so like that was where that was what you got you got you got you know um th- you know those sort of like produced fabrics um yeah but he you know he, he looked together he he definitely would wear I don't do this but he you know he would always wear a collared shirt you know um maybe not always a tie but always a collared shirt yeah. And so, him. Style icon, probably like Daiki Suzuki or any of the engineer garments folks, or Angelo Arusha. I mean, I know he's not there anymore, but like anyone who's like been or touched that that chain of of greatness. Um, and then, who is it? Maybe like for looks, like. Yves Saint Laurent like the guy right because I would love to just one day like only wear like like solid black and like deep navies and like look like I'm smart and have my shit together <laughs>
0: <laughs> well Jeremy yeah. thanks so much man this is this has been awesome I hope to get back to New York City like obviously sooner than later and um but yeah would love would love to get together uh in the flesh. for sure but um I really appreciate you taking the time, man. This was fun of course, for me. Of course, yeah. Cool. Thank you. I'd like to thank Jeremy once again for taking the time to do this episode. I um, had an absolute blast learning more about him, and I hope you guys did as well. I'd like to thank Jensen Reed and Super Beautiful for the theme track as always, as well as Clear Audio for the noise-canceling headphones. Uh, thanks so much for listening, and look after yourselves.